0: Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam School, joined, as always, by my co-host, my partner in crime, my fellow athletic soccer writer, Paul Tenorio. Paul, what's up, man? How's it going tonight? Just living the dream, Sam. MLS is back, baby. MLS is back, and it's almost over. Uh, I think we're 45 games down, six games to go. Uh, it's been a journey. It's been a marathon, an ultra-marathon, perhaps. Um, but we're starting to get to the end we have our 1st semifinalist. the philadelphia union put a hurt on sporting kansas city tonight played what i thought was their best game of the tournament beat kc three to one on the back of three first half goals three really good first half goals i might add um brendan aronson got mls and american soccer twitter jumping with a nice little turn and pass on that third goal um for the assist um but a really good performance by the union uh one of my predicted finalists by the way uh, and they're on into the semifinals where they will face the winner of the NYCFC Portland match, which is going to be on Saturday night. Um, also on Saturday night, San Jose against Minnesota. And then tomorrow night, we have Orlando, the uh, the tournament hosts, so to speak, uh, taking on the best team in MLS, LAFC. Um, so it should be an interesting few days before we get to the semis that next week and, and the final on August 11th. And speaking of the final, Paul, I mentioned Philly. LAFC is my other team. Both of my teams are alive for my predictions. How is uh, how how are yours coming? Can you remind me?
1: Well, it depends on which prediction you're talking about. My original prediction, yeah, which it, is it, what matters. Are you the, the most, guy that fills out? Are you the
0: guy that fills out like three March Madness brackets? In, oh, in like, college, I filled out teams like, in each one.
1: Like ten on ESPN. I was trying to win a million dollars. Are you kidding me? Remember the, <laughs> how I filled out so many brackets. All right, on ESPN. I digress. <laughs> you are that guy. You gotta be, you know, when you're a college kid and you're hungry and you need beer. Um, I, I'm, I still have my, my number one pick is still in this thing, Orlando City. And everyone laughed at me. All the people on Twitter, you, Orlando City, what are you talking about? They're alive, baby. And they're, they're facing LASC tomorrow. My guys could spoil your final. You're, you're I mean, oh, I'm taking LAFC. I'm out here on a limb. LAFC is going to make the final. Look I at never me, Sam School. At a oh, I, I got my my finalists right. No, you don't. <laughs> Not yet.
0: <laughs> listen, listen, man. First of all, you picked Toronto and Seattle here on this very show last week, and they both lost in the round of sixteen. Um, so I think you know it's it's fair for me to mention that. Also, you say we laughed at your pick of Orlando. You picked Orlando as
1: a joke. Be honest. I picked it because I was rooting for the MLS upside down, which has occurred. I mean, look at who who advanced <laughs> out of the group stage. Vancouver advanced. Cincinnati advanced. Orlando City advanced twice. Okay. This, Montreal. this up- Montreal advanced. It was incredible. The upside down happened. I don't care what you say. It was a joke. It was not a joke. The upside, I made the upside down happen. I wished it into happening right here on this show. (laughs) You spoke it into
0: existence. Um, Speaking of speaking things into existence, let's give a little bit of a rundown of what we are going to talk about here on this very show. So I think we'll spend a little bit of time on the union here to start, and then we're going to get into a a much bigger non MLS's back topic, um, kind of a normal non-pandemic allocation disorder, meat and potatoes type of subject. And that's MLS TV ratings, specifically what they've looked at at MLS is back and what that means for the league as a whole um and then you know we'll, we'll probably look ahead a little bit to the rest of the tournament at the end so that's that's the rundown that's what we got for you tonight but let's start with philly paul um and let's start with tonight's game um what's what stood out to you why um who looked good um is brendan aronson um the next Lionel messi um i, I joke I'm, I'm being sarcastic there i just want to be totally clear just before anyone gets mad at me, um, but what stood out to you tonight from either
1: side? I think you know what. What I like about Philly is just that they have a really clear identity. They all are bought in on how they want to play. I think the club has been bought in on on a vision for a while now, even preceding Ernst Tanner with Ernie Stewart and Jim Curtin. I mean, it wasn't. It was only just a couple of years ago that people were calling for Jim Curtin to be fired, and Ernie Stewart was constantly answering that question and saying. No, I have faith in Jim Curtin that he is the guy. Um, and that faith, I think, has paid off for Philadelphia. Um, you know, they, they play this counter pressing system. Um, my, my question for Philly is are they good enough in the final third to be a real threat to a team like LAFC? Um, but when they play their style and they play it well, they, they produce really good. Goals. I mean, all three goals today were really, really good team goals. Um, and then the other thing, of course, is watching their young players. And, you know, for me, that is a question, a bigger picture question than it is in L- Philadelphia this season question. It's what's going to happen with Brendan Aronson? What's going to happen with Mark McKenzie? Are they actually going to sell these players and cash in on the development and show that they're. A team that will bring players through and move them on, or are they going to be like every other MLS team in the history of this league and just pretend that they <laughs> are doing that?
0: I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I have faith that they're
1: actually going to sell
0: these kids. And Aronson, of course, has had a lot of rumored interest from, from Germany. In particular, Mark McKenzie, the young center back, is... Reportedly being watched by Celtic, among others, over in Europe. Aronson, I think, I think he got thrown around with Celtic as well um, here in the last week or so. Um, I th- I have faith that they're going to do it. Their owners seem bought in on it more than most. Um, and Ernst Tanner, uh, with his background coming over from Red Bull and Hoffenheim and 1860 Munich, he obviously understands this world. Um, and I think he was brought over. May really maybe one of the first. GMs to be brought over with kind of the clear mandate of, hey, we're bringing you here to help sell these players. Um, And I I think he'll do that. I think they'll move on him. Um, I would expect that interest is probably going to be pretty high in Aronson very soon. I wouldn't be shocked if he moved this summer, to be totally honest with you, Paul. Um, Maybe they want to hang on to him a little longer, see if he can drive his value up. Um, That's possible, too. Um, but I'm curious to see what happens there. I, I I think there will be some stories and some real interest and probably some offers. Um, so I think the union could have a decision, and I have more f- I have more faith in in them than I do in most MLS teams to to go and sell these kits. Um, and I think that's important. And I think uh, you wanted to talk about some of those reasons why it's important.
1: Yeah. Well, first, um, kind of on your note about this summer, I think it is interesting. It's an interesting opportunity for MLS. We've talked about this before. At the beginning of the COVID shutdown and the transfer market and the impact it was going to have on many, many teams around the world who don't have billionaire owners and are going to be forced to sell more players in order to bring revenue into the club and to keep those clubs afloat. We're seeing it. I think, you know, when I speak to people, for example, in Mexico, you know, they what they're saying is owners. There are looking to sell, 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 sell as much as they can. We're seeing players coming from Liga Mekis already to MLS, Um, And I think there is going to be a lot of interest in American players and MLS players in this upcoming transfer window because you can get American players for cheap, for relatively cheap to their actual value. This is a place to get bargains. And I think and I've always thought that MLS is going to have to sell at bargain prices in order to establish a market where they can start to make more money. The problem is MLS doesn't want to do that. They always think that their players are worth more than they are because they have an inflated sense of self. The league does itself. And that has always led to issues with sales of players. And you can go down the list of players who should have been sold that weren't. Um, Lucho Acosta is the greatest example from just last year or two years ago. Um, Should have been sold to PSG. People thought that they could squeeze a couple million more out of a player who was, you know, not even close to the level that PSG was offering. I think it was $8 million. Should have been a, the no-brainer to end all no-brainers. They didn't sell him, and they lost him for free. Eric Palmer Brown, Sporting Kansas City, had offers, didn't sell him, lost him for free. There's a trend here. And you know, even in the transfers that we've seen in the past, um, prioritizing sending a player to a big-name club for the PR of it versus what the best fit might be, all of these things have been a part of Major League Soccer's history. And I'm interested to see how these teams react in the window if they do have legitimate interest for these young players. And yes, they, they might have to sell a player for less than he's, than he would be worth if he was Brazilian or Argentinian. But the reason those prices are higher in Brazil and Argentina is because there is a very long history of players going to Europe who are from those countries who perform at X or Y expectations. And MLS does not have that history. They do not have a market that has been set. And it's only beginning to form. And you can't just point to Alfonso Davies and say, see, they bought Alfonso Davies for a lot of money and he's panned out. You know, you have to do that over time multiple times. Um, because for every Alfonso Davies, there's a Breck Shea who didn't work out. Um and, and so I, I think that there is going to be more interest than normal in this in this window for MLS players. and I wonder whether or not MLS will embrace that opportunity. Um, and and kind of the end of this rant is where you were trying to point me in the direction of with the with the question. But yeah, I think that this <laughs> idea is really important for Major League Soccer. You have to sell players because they are the best advertisement for the league that you can manage. You're not getting mainstream coverage in this country. The the casual sports fan still thinks MLS is way 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 below every other league in the world. They don't understand global soccer. They they compare um, they compare MLS to the Premier League and think that that's the only other league that exists in the world. And the best advertisement you can get is not homegrown players playing in your markets. It's not uh, a thirty second highlight in SportsCenter once every three weeks. It's not even. MLS is back 16 straight days of games when no other games are happening or very few other games are happening. It's Tyler Adams. It's Alfonso Davies. It's Miguel Almiron. It's players who came up in this league going overseas and succeeding and playing well. Even when you look at players like Weston McKinney, who came up in FC Dallas' academy and just didn't sign a homegrown deal, went straight to Germany. Chris Richards, another player who was in an MLS academy, signed a contract, never played an MLS and is, is looking like he has a chance to break in at Bayern Munich, um, that is going to sell the league to the casual fan, soccer fan, and it's going to convince the rest of the world that MLS has made significant progress. But you have to be willing to sell. And MLS has not shown that yet on a consistent basis. Yeah.
0: They haven't, but I think the tide is starting to turn a little bit. I really do think that. And like I'm as hard a, on MLS as, as anybody um out there and a lot of these things but i do think the tide's starting to turn and it's not perfect at every club but i do think philadelphia will will join that tide pretty soon um and you mentioned that proof of concept thing and players from argentina and brazil getting sold for higher prices because of the history i think that's starting to change too you know you mentioned it takes more than davies well there is more than davies now it's davies and adams and Miron going straight from mls and if you want to say McKenney, going straight from an MLS Academy, and even Chris Richards, who's starting to break through with the Bayern Munich first team um, coming from an MLS team. So so that's that's starting to change a little bit as well. Um, Is it all the way there? No, of course not. But that is starting to change. I do think the point that you made, though, uh, is really interesting about how that's a good way to sell the league. I totally agree. And I think... MLS needs to do something different, right? Quite obviously. And and we can get into the TV ratings now uh, from this MLS is back tournament. All of these games were on national television, either on ESPN, um, Fox or F- FS1, uh, Two Day NA. Um, they, they were on national TV, what? It's been 45 times now in the last three weeks. Uh, the ratings have largely been the same pretty much as they are for a normal regular season. Jonathan Tannenwald from the Philadelphia Inquirer, he had an article come out recently. Um, The league told him that viewership this month for MLS is back is up 7% over what it was in July 2019. Um, Average viewership for primetime games is 289,000 viewers. Um, and the biggest audience for the entire tournament at the time when Jonathan wrote his article was, was 639,000 viewers for Atlanta, New York on July 11th, which was on Big Fox and, and on 2DNA, which is Univision's cable channel. Um, the 9am games, um, of which I think there were eight or nine, uh, were dreadful in the ratings. It pains me to say, cause I, I quite enjoyed them <laughs> despite the poor play. <laughs> I liked the, I liked the early start, um, The biggest audience for those was 175,000. Just to put these numbers in a little bit of context, um, I'll compare them to some other leagues. And these aren't perfect apples-to-apples comparisons. Um, NWSL, which, of course, just wrapped up its Challenge Cup out in Utah, um, they drew 653,000 viewers on CBS for the final. So slightly more than MLS's biggest audience. Their opener was 527,000 on CBS, which was slightly more than the 492,000 that ESPN drew for the MLS's back opener a few weeks ago. Um, NBC Sports, they averaged apparently 462,000 per match for the recently completed EPL season, which was their highest number in four seasons. Um, Chivas... Down in Mexico, Liga MX remains the most watched soccer league in the United States. By the way, Um, they got five hundred eighty-six thousand for their match last on Saturday against Leon um, through their partnership with Telemundo. So MLS is, you know, in all those leagues I listed, um, you know, kind of comparable to NWSL, I guess, but slightly below. Um, Again, not apples to apples, uh, but it's sort of in line with what it is in 2019. Um, And it seems like there's this set audience of 250-ish thousand people that will tune into a nationally broadcast MLS game during the regular season. And that number does not really change. And it hasn't for years. And, I mean, we talk about it a lot, Paul, you and I, but with the media rights deal coming up at the end of 2022, so two and a half years now, there will be a new TV deal in place or coming into place. Um, and with the revenue from the current TV deal being $90 million per season, so roughly $3 million per team, aka roughly nothing, you know, in terms of the grand scheme of sports uh, and what it costs to, to even sign a designated player, for instance. Um, if MLS is to be the league that it wants to be, that TV rights number needs to go way, way, way up. And if you don't increase ratings, you know you might have a problem getting that rights number way up. And and there are other ways to kind of juice that deal, but at the end of the day, you need to grow the audience. And I think that that point that you made about saying, "Hey, you know, this is the place to watch New, Newcastle fan. MLS is the place to watch the next Newcastle star, right? Munich fan. This is the this is the place to next to watch the next Bayern star, right?" that's something that can draw in, I wouldn't call them a casual fan, but it can draw in maybe a more hardcore fan of the EPL or of the Bundesliga or of a Champions League club that hasn't paid attention to MLS, but knows and loves soccer and is willing to get into it. Maybe you can suck them in a little bit that way um, and And get them to watch.
1: It's not Um, just, um, I think
0: that's that's interesting.
1: Sorry. It's not just, it's not just watch the next player for your team, right? It's like there is this concept out there, Sam, that, that the, that MLS is a really really low level of soccer and that's just not true anymore i mean like you said like I we mean, give we give mls it, it's it's not true but
0: like anyone that was watching MLS's back yeah, would not know yeah, that no for sure um, but but and that's not to, really that, that's not really the fault of the players it's just brutal conditions down there
1: yeah you have to you have to close that perception gap you have to close What people think of MLS, which is they think of the 2005 version of MLS or the 1999 version of MLS, they don't really understand how far it's come in the last five years. And you know, it has the 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 high quality teams and the quality of players has changed significantly over the last five years. But to tell that story, you need you need new ways to tell that story and to reach new fans to show them that it's worth tuning in, that there are reasons to tune in and and that's that's the other thing I want to hit on Sam it's not just MLS's fault right like MLS is doing some of the things right. that they need to do now they're not doing all of them and we'll get into some of the things that i that we think that they could do but i would also point out that that media plays a big role in this and specifically the tv partners for major league soccer and i'll even say even more specifically espn like there has to be a buy-in beyond just Putting their games on air and advertising the games, you know, by rolling some kind of pre-roll ad during a college football game or whatever they do, um, occasionally putting a highlight in the top ten. Like people pay attention to sports because of stories, of narratives. They buy in on a team or a player and they say, Oh, I should tune in. And there are examples of that all around the sports world, right? Like the Olympics. You know, they spend years in the build-up to an Olympics telling the stories of athletes in sports that you would never pay attention to. And especially when the Olympic Games are occurring. That's how we find out the life story of a figure skater or a bobsledder or, um, you know, I don't know, pick a random sport. And we care and we watch and we know about these people. You look at college softball. The Women's College World Series does incredibly well. And you learn as the tournament's unfolding about I don't know. I'll I'll go back to my days at Northwestern, like Monica Abbott at Tennessee, and she's just how How do you learn about Monica Abbott? Well, it's because they're telling those stories over the course of the day on all of their shows. The Little League World Series, you learn about these kids and where they're from, and you buy in on the cities and the towns. Danny Almonte, right? All of that (laughs) stuff matters. That those those that exposure on all of those different shows, telling the stories of those teams telling the stories of how those rosters got built and why you should care. That's a big part of why people tune in, especially for a sport like soccer that's still building an audience. And also, by the way, side note, it's a big reason why, you know, one of the reasons why women's sports doesn't get as much of an opportunity to succeed because those stories aren't told for women's sports either. And when they are, like the Women's College World Series, they do really well, or the WNBA. So I think that you know, this is something that media needs to improve on. And we see it all the time, right? There's a generation that's still sitting in the anchor chair, sitting in the producer's chair, sitting in the director's chair, that's typically older, um, typically not a soccer fan, and are making choices that are, they're never going to force feed soccer to an audience they, because they don't like it and they don't care. And the anchor doesn't want to learn the name of the player to pronounce it correctly. They don't want to learn the name of the team And that is communicated to the viewer. And until that changes, and it might still be another 10 or 15 years for this younger generation to get into those chairs, the decision-making chairs and into the anchors chairs for that to change, but it matters significantly. And the only way to fast forward that is if MLS changes its business model drastically. And I don't think
2: either of us see that coming, but it's probably where it needs to go. Right, Sam? Hey, folks, this is Taylor from The Total Soccer Show. I've once again been here the entire time. Sam gave me the signal that he needs a moment to think, so I'm interrupting to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by Roman. Paul and Sam are discussing big issues that can be challenging to deal with, which I suppose seems like a good segue to talk about Roman, who would like to remind you that 40% of men by the age of 40 struggle from not being able to get and maintain an erection. A portion of that 40% then turns to weird solutions instead of actual solutions backed by science, which is the preferable route. Hims connects you with real reallicensed.com, Doctors and FDA approved pharmaceutical products to treat ED and offers well known generic equivalents to name brand prescription products. You can try HIMS today by starting out with a free online visit. Go to slash total soccer ED. That's F O R H I M slash total soccer ED. slash total soccer ED. Now the legalese. Prescription products are subject to medical provider approval and require an online consultation with a medical provider who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. See website for full details and safety information. This could cost hundreds of you went in person to the doctor's office or a pharmacy so remember that's fourhims.com slash total soccer ed all right i have bought sam some time i think he's ready to respond sam back to you to answer paul's question exactly as it was and i'm sure not take us off on any tangents
0: yeah and and before we get to that discussion i do want to address a few of the things that you said because i think you made a lot of good points but i'm going to put my contrarian hat on um and say why should espn talk about this on pti or around the horn right what compelling reason is there They show 31 games a year. They get their 250,000 fans per match, like no matter what they do, it seems like. Why should they, right? The the soccer isn't the best soccer in the world. Like, why should they devote time and resources, um, which they would need to devote, right? Because it's not like Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon is able to just riff on MLS. No, they would have to spend a significant amount of time prepping to do it properly, Right. And they would want to do it properly. So why why should they devote that when they can talk about the NFL with a, a much, much greater ease, right? And the return on that is going to be much better for their company, right? Why would they? And then you get into chicken and the egg type things. But just to put my contrarian hat on there, like MLS is not, it's not the biggest fish in the sea. It's not the main squeeze for ESPN. Or for Fox, or for a lot of these networks. Sure, um, and, and I- you still need to be on them if you're MLS. But but I get why the networks don't really promote it and don't really prioritize it in terms of coverage. It's because people aren't that interested in it. Like, and, and it's not the network's responsibility to make people interested in it. Would it be better if you know I knew? that every Saturday or Sunday night at a certain time ESPN or Fox was going to show their game of the week. Yeah. It'd be a lot better. You know, during a normal season, I have no idea what day or time that that game is going to be on. And it's a bit of a pain in the ass to figure it out. Right. And I'm the opposite of a casual fan. Right. So, so creating some consistency there, that would be good just doing more ads for it during Sports Center having one segment that would be better yeah 100 percent but at the same time I understand why these networks don't do those things because they're in the business of making money just like everybody else right and and money for them is NFL and NBA and and, and MLB and, and that's where they're gonna devote their time and their energy but, but And that's, it's not gonna that's be to where MLS. and until but but the league can't can't change that right like you said it you said it, it's the generational thing with the producers and the anchors. And I, I totally agree with you there. And I think it's going to be another 10, 20 years before that changes. But in, in the, in the interim, MLS needs to do a job of expanding its audience. And like you said, that would likely require a significant change. It, to the business model, at least if you're talking about a meaningful growth of audience.
1: Yeah. And I'll push, I'll I'll come back at what you said there. Look, I think there's a few reasons why I, and I agree with you, right? Obviously it's much easier to go with the things that you know are going to be successful. And that's what most media companies do. But I also think it's a cop out to say, well, the audience isn't there. It's not as big and you know, it's never going to be as big. So we don't need to devote, devote as many resources. Look, if we put this on air, it does only 250,000. And thus that proves the point that we're, it'll never be an audience as big. And like, this is something that you and I sure. have battled no, against in our own You're careers, right? right? Like, I- I'll speak from experience. Like, I was the beat reporter who helped to build an audience at the Orlando Sentinel. And the instinct of the Sentinel initially was not, Hey, we should put a full-time soccer reporter on and we should do, give it the exact same level of coverage. Um, that was something that evolved. And luckily there were editors in those chairs who embraced that idea and said, yes, like we are willing to do this and give it a try and see what happens. And, and they put me on the road full time. And they, and more importantly, they put really important soccer stories on the front page and they created a special section for Orlando City and they built a blog out of nothing to be the same as Florida Gators and Florida State and Orlando Magic. And what they learned was that those blogs started to actually perform at levels that were competitive and at times better than Florida State and Florida and the Orlando Magic. And, you know, maybe that's an anomaly. Maybe that's just Orlando at that time was that interested in the team because it was new and it was different. But I think it also speaks to the idea that if you devote resources to something equal resources and you give it equal attention it can outperform that we've seen that with our own work at the athletic sam and it's a little bit different and uh, not a little bit different it's a lot different at espn and i don't so i'm not saying that mls would do the numbers that uh the nfl certainly not the nfl or nba would do um, but when you look at the nhl and when you look at major league baseball you know i think that those are attainable levels and i think that when you look at the demographics of the level of interest in soccer versus the amount of interest in major league baseball and in hockey. That's why ESPN has the incentive, right? They need to, they need to find ways to capture those demographics and to do so um, in different ways to bring in bigger audiences um, and to grow something. My point is just that they can't grow it the way that they're doing it. And it's not all on ESPN. In fact, you know, In my opinion, you know, probably somewhere like 10% of this falls on ESPN to, to change the way they operate a little bit. And it's not drastic changes. It's pretty standard to say to your anchors at a, at an, uh, and reporters at a company like ESPN, like, Hey, you need to know about all sports. And when you do MLS highlights, you need to sound as educated and as interested as you do when you're doing NHL highlights. Or college basketball highlights where you don't know anything about UCF basketball or Creighton basketball, but you're not going to sound like you don't care, right? You're not going to make fun of the mascot at Creighton or not pretend like you don't know the name of, you know, UTEP's mascot. Like that doesn't happen because it's unprofessional and it does happen with soccer, um, at a higher rate. And I, but I think. You know, no, it I falls totally on MLS. It falls on MLS to 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 say, hey, we are doing more so that you do more. And and ultimately that's what the next what like six years is gonna be about? I mean if we're really being like we're looking at twenty twenty six, right? Yeah. Five, really. Yeah. Five and a half. Crazy. I mean it it's 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 a really... We're at this point... I mean, Sam, I think we get frustrated about it because we have picked this as a profession, right? Like we went into sports journalism and (laughs) then we decided to cover soccer and you know, we're devoting our lives to covering the sport. We see the potential. We see the audience. We see the numbers that League MX is doing, that Premier League is doing. We see the interest in American players abroad. We see the potential of Major League Soccer. We spend long, long, long days for many days in a row reporting on things like the MLS's back tournament. And then at the end of the day, you see low TV audience. You see um, a league that is getting in its own way. You see owners who refuse to spend more because they don't want to invest more. They'd rather see their value of their franchises go up. And you see owners who do want to spend more getting blocked by owners who don't and it, it becomes a frustrating part of the existence of soccer reporting in this country because it feels like they are the ones who aren't trying to the level that they need to be in order to drive the success but that's been a part of mls this entire time right like their whole model is yeah.
0: incremental
1: slow, slow growth steady they don't want to change that
0: and i get that it's just at a certain point i think you know you've set a good foundation if you're MLS and that's great but at a certain point I feel like you need to start to build on that foundation and and that's for a lot of reasons that we don't need to get into on this show but we can get into it at a different time um and I think that time is rapidly approaching with the TV deal with the World Cup um, with expansion coming to an end um, at a certain point, you just need to get more fans <laughs> and you need to get more people watching and consuming your product. And and I actually do want to go back to something you said, Paul, about your time in Orlando and convincing the Sentinel, hey, like there is a market for this and proving it with your numbers and readership and all of that stuff. And th- I think that's really illustrative, right? Because MLS is consumed in local markets on a local level, right? They're like Orlando City's been terrible since they moved into the league, Um, with the exception of this little run at the tournament that they're having. Um, And they've they've felt their stadium. Right. Like Seattle pack in 40,000 a game. The Timbers have sold out however many games in a row. Kansas City had a huge sellout streak. Right. The attendance is good. People in local markets are interested. They don't watch national games they only watch their team they barely even watch their team on the road in a lot of instances right so when you talk about what what can mls do well one thing that they can do is convince the fans that they do have to to become fans of the league and not just fans of their own club right and and i think that would be helped definitely a lot by the media stuff that we've been talking about Um, but the other thing that that the mls needs to do and and i don't know how you solve this problem I really don't. Like, it's something that I thought about when I was working for a club way back when. Um, but there are a lot of soccer fans in this country. There aren't very many MLS fans. There are a lot of soccer fans. So how do you turn some of those soccer fans into MLS fans? Well, I think you improve the product, right? And and all of this goes together. It's, it's all a big stew with many ingredients and many things that need to, to be good all at once. There's not one catch all solution here. Um, but, You know, that's, that's the market. Those are the markets, in my opinion, that you need to start to do a better job of capturing. And it's been pretty stagnant for a long time, um, in both of those regards, in my opinion. So it's going to be, I mean, I don't know, man, like it, it, at a certain point, (laughs) at a certain point, it's, it's like, if not now, then when, you know, like if not now, in terms of like really trying to push this forward and take the next step, then when you can't wait too much longer. Um, you know five years six years it's a long time but it's not it's not that long of a time and, and when you're talking about building a fan base and creating you know a whole swath of of millions of fans right it's not that long you got to pack it in pretty fast uh, before that world cup
1: comes around uh, and, and not and only that sam but i don't
0: know that they're going to be able to do it
1: yeah i mean i i think also like I mean, when you and I grew up, I mean, here's why MLS needs to change on kind of another level, right? Like when we were growing up and I was, uh, I don't know, I was 11 years old when MLS launched. I remember watching the MLS Cup Final in my friend's basement when DC United came from behind to win. I was a DC United fan. I was a kid. And then I stopped watching... Uh, for a while when I got, as I got older, I was playing and I wasn't really interested in it. And part of the reason why was because soccer started to become a little bit more accessible on TV, right? Um, you could watch Champions League and I I'm could, it. you know, I remember ordering the, um, you know, uh, on pay per view, a Syria, uh, it wasn't really a final, obviously, but when Roma won the Scudetto and <laughs> Totti got stripped down to his underwear on the field and, you know, now that you know there wasn't really competition for MLS. It was very difficult to get games besides Champions League. I remember ordering VHS yeah. tapes from Eurosport magazine to be able to learn about the Premier League and Man. learn about Ajax. And you know now Paul, we come from different generations. Yeah, yeah, we really do. But now you you can turn on <laughs> the television on a Saturday morning and you can watch the Premier League any Premier League game you want you can watch. Um, with a subscription fee, you can watch the Bundesliga, yeah. you can watch League MX, a, you can watch Serie A, you can watch the championship. And so if you don't act soon in your Major League Soccer, this whole new generation of fan that's being generated as a soccer fan that's starting to pick teams and buy into the sport, they're not going to pick you. They're not going to pick you. They're, and we're seeing that happen in real no. time, right? They're picking Liverpool and, and, and Chelsea and Manchester City and Manchester United and even Newcastle and Aston Villa and these random teams that you wouldn't expect an American to grab hold of. And MLS can't do the slow incremental growth anymore without risking bigger and bigger chunks of the soccer fan market going elsewhere. And and it's also going to be aided by young American players going to the Bundesliga. Players like Alfonso Davies. I mean... It's it's hard as an American to not tune in every week to watch Christian Pulisic for Chelsea and to say, yeah. you know, a lot of fans are going to buy Chelsea jerseys. And that's fine. It's not that you can't do both. But MLS is kind of stuck to this slow incremental growth that worked for the first decade and a half when there wasn't as much competition. But that time is gone. And we... We've gone 35 minutes into this show without saying it, Sam. I don't think we've said it yet, but the chicken and the egg scenario here, right? Like MLS says we can't spend more until we have a bigger TV deal and we make more money. And the bigger TV deal is not going to come until the TV numbers are there. And the TV numbers aren't going to come there unless, unless unless you put the product on the field. And at the end of the day, what we're seeing now at MLS is back when there was very little to no competition is fans saying, this isn't good enough for me to tune in. This isn't good enough yet. I don't buy yeah. it. I don't want to buy it. And I think that whereas we may be questioned what needed to come first before, I think this tournament should be a pretty clear answer that MLS needs to spend more and that spending more in little 2 or $4 million chunks of the youth transfer fund or whatever, where you where you can sell the idea that you're spending more, but your actual spend is not that significant, is not enough. There needs to be yeah. a drastic change. And
0: and what the drastic change really needs to be, it needs to be spending, sure. It's easy for us to spend other people's money, of course. Uh, but it needs to be more an attitude and power, really. Right now, you know, the, the most important thing for the league, or one of the most important things for the league is parity and preserving that. And I think parity is good. Honestly, like, I think it keeps it cool. It keeps it fresh. Um, It's good that every team enters the season having a chance. At the same time, though, if you want to create an interesting league, people like dynasties, man. Like, I sound like Colin Cowherd here, like spouting off cliches. But, like, it's true. People tune into that stuff. And there are a group of very ambitious owners in this league. You think Arthur Blank doesn't want to go out and spend some more? You think LAFC doesn't want to go out and spend some more, right? Like, there are owners that can push this league forward. David Tepper, when Charlotte comes in, he's the richest owner in the NFL, you know? He's an ambitious guy. He paid $325 million to get into MLS. You think he wants to be constrained by a $12 million salary cap plus 3 DP slots? Probably not, right? So if you let this new generation of owners who have spent a ton of money to get into the league a lot more than the 30 million that was spent 10 years ago. That, that, that was what an expansion spot went for. If you, if you let some of these newer guys start to start to drive the decision making and start to really push this and say, Hey, I know you've been around for a long time, but I'm the one with the cash. I'm the one that wants to push this forward. I'm the one that's being ambitious. You need to let me write the rules. I think that's what really needs to happen. And then you can start to see some diversity of model in terms of how you build clubs. And then you can start to see maybe maybe there's less parity, right? But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You can still have less parity and, and still have some parity. There are some some off ramps between, you know, no from what we currently have and no parody at all where two teams dominate and it's real and Barca, right? Um and, and I think you can find that happy medium and I think you can kind of let the big clubs drive it um, and let the small clubs um, that don't want to spend, they can figure out ways to compete. Maybe they invest in their academy a lot more, maybe becoming a selling club becomes much more of a real thing that allows you to compete because you're injecting money through transfers. Um, I think that I think that would be a good thing for MLS in every single way. Um, and so I think that's that's really the big change that needs to happen. We talk about spending; it needs to be the owners of these newer, more ambitious clubs need to kind of get the power from the owners that have been around a long time, like the Hunts, uh, the Crafts, or even some that haven't been around as long, like like Vancouver and Greg Kerfoot who along with Clark Hunt, um, chairs the product strategy committee, um, which is one of the most important, um, if not the most important, um, decision-making groups in the entire league.
2: Speaking of important decision-making groups, let's talk about the decision to advertise on podcasts. Shall we? We shall, because I decided so. First of all, you should do it. Uh, decision made, there we go. Uh, but where to advertise and how? Uh, well, if that age-old question has been on your mind, then might I suggest advertising with The Athletic? If you'd like to see what choosing to advertise with The Athletic might do for you, check out theathletic.com slash podcast ads. When you head over there, you can fill out a very simple form. They'll get back to you right away. You can look at national shows like Hours or more local shows for the specific market or markets that apply to your business. One more time, go to the com slash podcast ads today to see what advertising with the athletic can mean for you and do for you. Uh, now with that business out of the way, let's get back to Paul and Sam talking about business of their own.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a couple things that hit on what you're talk, talking about with power dynamics and changing how the rule, the the rules work in this league. First of all, We know that salary caps can work and you can still spend money, right? You can, you can still put a cap on the spending and not necessarily be the European model or the rest, the global model in the rest of the world. You can use American sports league as your, sports leagues as your example and say, okay, we're, we're still going to keep a cap. We're just going to increase it significantly. And I think when you look at leagues like the NFL or even NBA and Major League Baseball, which is not a capped league, you know there are small market teams that win and they win in different ways right they win through moneyball they win through you know the the heavy analytics like the astros and a little bit of help from cheating right they they win like the kansas city chiefs which is not a big market nfl team but you have a good gm and an owner willing that's to spend by the way yeah. by the way that's an owner who owns an mls team who is the yeah. co-chair of the product strategy committee, right? Kansas City can win in a capped league, right? Even though they're not to, to the be big fair market, in the NFL, Dallas everyone Cowboys. spends the same. Everyone spends, the same, but that's the point, right? right? You they're can all in, out for in the this part. in this country, market size doesn't dictate spending. There are enough billionaires who own sports teams that it's different than Germany. It's different, you know it it's different than Germany. It's different than the premier league. It's different than leagues around the world. Um, there, there are, you know, there are owners who can spend the money to compete and you don't have to be in LA to spend money. You don't have to be in New York to spend money. You don't have to be in Chicago to spend money or Miami. You can be in Kansas city. You can be in Houston or Dallas. Um, and this league has those types of owners. And I had someone say to me recently, okay, if you're going to increase the spending significantly, there are going to be owners who can't keep up. That can't keep up with Arthur Blank. They can't keep up with Tepper. They can't keep up with LAFC or you know, pick an owner. And what about them? Does that mean that they just have to sell? The short answer is yes. Yes. If the league is going to move on, then then if you're an owner who can't keep up with that level of spending... For the good of the league, the answer is yes. Eventually well, you, you don't might have, have to sell. You can figure you out might. another
0: way to compete. Right?
1: You might have to you might yeah. have to sell. Or
0: you can just or you can just suck. I mean, it's whatever, right? You can do whatever you want with it. But if you suck, mm-hmm. then your fans are gonna respond by not showing right. up. But the league right? the league so, can't be
1: making but, decisions based on keeping an owner in the loop. That's not that's not why decisions should be made. That's not why product strategy committee decisions should be made. It's not why Don Garber should be making decisions. The league is bigger than any owner in any market. And you can't limit the rules based on whether or not an owner can keep up financially with another owner. If there's a group of owners ready to push this league forward and it's the right way to grow the business, that needs to be what makes the decision, not whether or not, you know, and, and there are good owners who might not be able to do it, right? I mean, there are, but that doesn't
0: mean you don't do it. Yeah, I mean, look at Stan Cronky, right? like he can do whatever he wants, and what he does is not spend at all in any way on the Colorado Rapids, right? and that's fine. It's his prerogative, I guess. He can do what he wants, right, but like, I mean why why should why should him doing that limit what Jorge Mas can do with inner Miami? Right it shouldn't those two things should not be related, not not as I guess closely as they are right now. Um, and I think that I think really that needs to change, um, and I think that's kind of the biggest thing that needs to change when you're talking about MLS going forward um, and drawing more fans. However, Paul, you know we we were talking you were talking about what's good for the business and and all that stuff, and I think it's important to note here: MLS uh, from a business perspective is doing great it might not be making a profit year over year, but that's not why you get into owning a sports team, right? Just think about it, right? Adrian Anar is Seattle Sounders and you know, he bought in with some other owners and I think his stake is, I I don't know what it is, but he bought in with, with the late Paul Allen and Drew Carey and I believe some other folks back in 2008 or so or seven when the Sounders were granted an expansion spot. And I believe that expansion fee was around $30 million. Um, they have not built a stadium. They have not built a training facility. They have one, and they do spend near the top of the league, and they've done so for their entire history. Um, so they've invested in salaries, right? But they have not invested in the real expense of things, which is infrastructure. Um, the Sounders now, I mean, this is just ballparking, but FC Cincinnati was recently valued at $500 million when they had a minority owner buy-in, uh, I believe, last year. If they're at five hundred. What are the Sounders at? Are they at five because they don't have a facility? Are they at 600? I don't know. Either way, that initial investment from Adrian Hanauer and his co-owners, you're you're talking about a massive, massive jump, right? So when you look at it from that perspective, well, why would you ever change? You'd be an idiot to change, right? You're talking about a thousand, two thousand percent return. That's crazy. That's absolutely wild. Right. Andrew Hauptman, another, you could say the same thing, right. Made a ton of money on the Chicago fire without having to build the damn thing. Um, and his team didn't even win. So from that perspective, the business is doing just fine. Right. So why would they change? Well, at some point, like I've been saying, you're going to need to grow the customers, right? The values of franchises, which is really what, what the league really cares about at the end of the day are not going to keep going up without growing your customer base. And in order to do that, I think you need to do probably a lot of the things that we've been talking about here for the last 45 minutes. So that's, I mean, y- you have anything else on this topic that I you mean, that you want to get off your chest? I don't know if I have, I think <laughs> I don't want to go too long on it because we could go for hours on this one, Paul, but I don't know if
1: I have anything else, but, but please add in some final thoughts if you want. No, I think the last, you know, this loops back to why we got into this conversation. The first point first place, which is the TV ratings. And if you look around the rest of the country and what sustains professional sports leagues, and if you look at Premier League and any other team in any other league in Europe, pretty much um, the big leagues, The thing that that sustains these leagues and that really drives the profits and and real revenue is the TV deals. And in order for the TV money to go up, the audience is going to have to increase. It's going to be more than just butts and seats. It's going to be more than just franchise valuations, which, yes, at some point when expansion is done you know those franchise valuations they might have a jump after expansion ends but at a certain point you need to to show revenue right you need to show that you can drive revenue and grow that revenue it's going to come through the market the the TV market and in order to do that you've got to you've got to convince people to tune in and i think we're going to need to see the product get better and it has let's give the league credit i believe it has gotten better in the last 5 years through expansion <laughs> mostly Right through teams like I think LA it's gotten and, better and better. worse at the same time. <laughs> yeah, but the, the the thing that's gotten it better is these new owners who have come in and have done a better job. Right, and you know that's going to end at some point. And so, you know, what is MLS going to do to sustain or expand that growth? And that ultimately is the question. You know, will they spend more? It, it comes down to money. Realistically, it comes down to money in in the soccer world. Are they going to spend more? And, and structure. You know, yeah, and they're, they're going to have to change the rules in order to, to spend more to truly be competitive. But they're not even the best but, but league in money. North America, <laughs> right? So that, that's where it goes. And, and I, th- I think we can leave it at that. But I mean, yeah. you know, I just, I just think that we are, you know, looking at these TV ratings, I'm just saying to myself, you know, at some point, right? At some point, somebody's going to have to say, what has to change? What has to change?
0: Yeah, hundred percent, man. Something's got to give. Um, speaking of something's got to give, let's change topics. Let's let's have something give on this discussion, and let's just let's look ahead towards the rest of the MLS's back tournament. Um, like I said, there's six games to go. Forty-five down. I think I've watched forty-three of them, Paul. Um, I feel like I deserve a medal for that. Um, but you know, that's uh, that's for another time. Um, we have. Orlando and LAFC on Friday, San Jose, Minnesota, NYCFC, Portland on Saturday. How do you see the rest of the quarters playing out here?
1: I don't. You know, it's it's weird. I I before today's game, I went and looked at the betting lines. I saw Philadelphia as like a plus two eighty five or something like that. Underdog, really? and I thought I thought Kansas City oh, yeah. was going to win, but I looked at that line and I was like regardless of who you think is going to win, you have to put money on that, right? You have to put money on Philadelphia (laughs) to win. It's a good value. Because there's no way that they're that big of an underdog. So now I'm turning and looking at these games right now and you're looking at, okay, Minnesota plus 210 against San Jose. Like To me, like that's a smart bet. Do I think Minnesota is going to win that game? I don't know, but that's a pretty good bet right there. Portland plus 195 against NYCFC. That's a good bet. I mean, they're they're both yeah. underdogs in those games. What do I think is going to happen? I think LAFC is going to beat Orlando. I think that San Jose is finally going to get a win against Minnesota. Minnesota's beaten them pretty pretty handily in the three games that they faced each other. They smacked and, them, man. And I yeah. actually think NYCFC is going to stay hot. And I think they're going to beat Portland. But... Man, I look at some of these lines and I'm like, "Mm, I'd lay some money down on Minnesota. I'd probably lay some money down on Portland. It's MLS. Anything can happen. I'm not putting money down on Orlando. But, you know, I I think it'll be LA, San Jose, and NYCFC that go through. I'm 100% with you on those. Um, which I think is
0: different from what we picked last week, but I can't quite remember. We we don't need to talk about that anyway. Um, and I agree with you on the betting part, too. So I'll just say a few quick things about a few of these teams. LAFC are the best team in the league to watch. Um, they're not the best team in the league at defending, um, but <laughs> um, it's, it's pretty amazing to me what Bob Bradley has done with that group. You know, like... He like it's it's been written about, it's been talked about. Um, he's by far the best coach in MLS, um, and what he turned that midfield three of Atuesta Blessing, who was a substitute winger for Kansas City, um, and Mark Anthony Kay into is it's bananas to me. And so hats off to Bob um, and the job that he continues to do out there. Now, without Carlos Villa, without Adama Diamande, um, they still just can't stop scoring goals. They absolutely beat the crap out of the Sounders um, in this round of 16, 4 to 1. Um, and it should have been way, 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 way worse than that. Um, so, credit to them. To me, they're
2: by Sam, far the
1: class of the league. It's not I mean, close. Mark Anthony Kaye was a winger at Louisville. You know, Mark Anthony Kaye was a winger at Louisville. Yeah. The last <laughs> time was a winger. I mean, in Kansas City, a backup winger. And look at this team; they they are fun to watch. I also want to give a shout out to um, a story by our our colleague Felipe Cardenas. Um, he did a story on Edward Atuesta, which I thought was a phenomenal read. It was a really cool way to write tactically about soccer that wasn't a tactics story. There's a lot of an increasing amount of tactical writing out there for MLS, which is awesome for people who love the game. And I encourage everyone to 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 go consume as much of it as they can but what i really liked about felipe's piece was that it was um it was a narrative story and it was about the way that colombian soccer was shaped by carlos valderrama and it was just really cool to to read a tactical piece that was uh also a narrative story as well so i highly recommend for people listening to the pod to go check out that story on atuesta I I second that recommendation and also
0: you mentioned Paul that it was really cool it was really cool and what was really cool about what you just did is that now we have a great great like measure of whether or not Felipe listens to the full episode this week. Um, cause if he does, he'll definitely say something to you and maybe even me about what you just said. So th- this is a test for Felipe. Um, I also wanted to shout out Matias Almeida. I said, Bob Bradley's the best coach in the league. I don't think Matias Almeida is really that far behind, um, what he did in San Jose last year, even though they didn't make the playoffs, like a 20 point improvement with minimal roster changes off of a team that was absolutely dreadful in 2018, um, is amazing. Um, they're playing really well uh, down in Orlando. A lot of people talk about their man marking system. You know, I think Darren Eels, Atlanta's president said something today. Uh, I can't remember the exact quote and I'm not going to pause and look it up here, but someone asked him about his formation, about the team's formation and transitioning out of Frank to And he's like, it's less about formation. It's more about feeling. And, and that's absolutely the case with San Jose. It's less about their system and it's more about the feeling. Um, I, I was actually texting with a player Uh, this week. He said something to me. He's like, these San Jose guys, you see them around the bubble. You see them in the hotel and they're just so happy all the time. He's like, all of them. You never see one of them in a bad mood. They're always having a great time with each other. I think we've seen that on the field in Orlando and and they have such a clearly such a good culture. They play for each other. They play really hard to me. I feel like they've been the fittest team in the tournament by a lot, which is kind of remarkable considering they didn't get to do full team training until they got to Orlando. Um, So kudos to Almeida and the job he's done. Um, I am excited for that game. Uh, I I picked picked San Jose, but I think that one will be kind of a toss up. And then NYCFC, Paul, a lot of people bagged on them through the group stage and, and they deserved some of that. Um, they didn't deserve as much as they got. I think people grouped them with Atlanta and the Galaxies, these big teams that were struggling. Um, NYCFC were creating chances. They just weren't really finishing. Um, and we saw them play really well and demolish Toronto in the round of 16. Um, and I'm curious. They have a bit more structure. It's a bit more rigid under Ronnie Dela than it was under Dome Torrent. Um, but it seems like they're starting to turn a corner um, with the new head coach, and I'm curious to see how they look against Portland and potentially deeper into the tournament. Um, So that's what I wanted to say about those games. You got anything else for me here, Paul?
1: I'm going to go back to the San Jose-Minnesota game real quick. I want to say about San Jose, I I agree. I think Almeida's done a phenomenal job. When you speak to players in San Jose... Here we go. I know where you're going. I'm excited. they talk about how much they love... Playing there, they you know Tommy Thompson learned Spanish. It's great. It's awesome. I, I do want to point out though that you know they did add some players over the last couple of years that have really helped in this rebuild, right? Like it's not sure. exactly the 2018 roster that was so it, the, terrible. They Espinosa, 19, Fierro, Rios. You know, Alanis. It was basically like, those those two or three. Yeah. So I, I I do, but I do. I mean, man, they really, really, really do. Love each other, love the system. There's a family atmosphere, you know. And and I think Orlando fans would try to say that they're starting to see that happen with Oscar Pereira's side. But I mean, if you talk to anyone in San Jose, I would agree. I would actually agree with that. By the way, it's not
0: to the same extent, but Pereira's doing a good job down there, man.
1: Yeah, and and the other thing I'm going to say, and this is not going to be a controversial take for anyone who knows me, but I do want to point something out. Everyone's been giving Adrian Heat Hell Jeez. this week. I'm, I'm going to yes. do this. I'm going to do it. You do know, it. I, I want to. I watched the halftime interview today with Twelman and all these people talking. And I, I talked to to Jeff Reeder about it the other night. And here's my thing: Look, does he play it up a hundred percent? You know, is it is it is he a little bit of Rodney Dangerfield? You know, no respect, no respect. Yes, but let's be honest. Let's really be honest. They finished six, tied for six most most points in the league last year. They're undefeated this year with some wins over good teams. I have not... I could not tell you... I, I would tell you that there are zero people who cover this league full-time who put them as a top five MLS team right now, but even based on the results last year into this year, or that treat them the way another team would be treated that have the same results. I mean, we just got finished talking about how great Almeida is, yeah. and they missed the playoffs last year, you know? No, that, you're 100% right. And he is 100% is right. right about this. He's right. He's right. Yeah. And all and and, and I, it's stuff that he shouldn't be paying attention to as a coach. But the, the attitude every time Minnesota won a game last year and kept doing well was, when is it going to end? Right? It was, when are they going to turn back into Minnesota? When are they going to turn back into the pumpkin? I get it. I thought it too. I definitely don't see Minnesota the same way that I see NYCFC or Portland or even Kansas City. You know, Kansas City has a bad result and you're like, Oh, like they'll be back next week, you know, and you, no one expected them to miss the playoffs last year. Minnesota is still thought of as 2017, 2017 and 2018 Minnesota, right? So I actually think that Adrian has a, has, he has a point though. He has a point, that they're constantly still and fighting as someone for respect. Who,
0: as, as someone who personally, myself, cultivates a healthy chip on his shoulder and is always on the lookout for slights perceived or real or otherwise, um, I understand where Adrian Heath is coming from. And I also understand that it's a little bit unhealthy, but it is a good motivator. So, you know, for a coach, go for it, man. Do your thing. Wear your collared shirt on your in your hotel room. On on halftime, um, on your halftime interview tonight, (laughs) that was the most that was the most exciting part of that interview for me because I actually I wasn't really listening I was running around at half but I thought
1: that was funny, um, so I I mean I can't Um, I can't understand. I, I wore a suit coat on on 12 minutes banter in my office during I mean a it's pandemic, just like so. like it's like
0: Adrian like are you wearing that around the hotel room like in the bubble like hopefully you're like like I guess sometimes you know sometimes <laughs> when you work from home you you dress up to like make yourself feel a certain type of way maybe he was doing that I don't know but I'm I'm hoping he was relaxing and he
1: just and, wanted and to maybe look good a on l- little TV. bit more comfortable He probably hey, you know what with he his did. wife it's and she was like him. hey throw throw a collared shirt on Adrian. don't oh, be don't be a bum Date night. Okay. There
0: you go. Maybe a nice bottle of Pinot Grigio. Who knows? Um, (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) I think on that note, we can close this episode. (laughs) Thank you for listening uh, to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam School. He is Paul Tenorio. Uh, Appreciate you tuning in. As always, we'll be back next week. Until then, enjoy the games. Uh, I know we will. Um, And we'll be back next week with with final talk, Paul. It's going to be wild. Thanks for listening. This has been Allocation Disorder.